Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Long may she reign. Presented to you by Aidan Fitzgerald. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May Shireen podcast. I am Aiden. I'm your host for this podcast. So, I'm really sorry for this not going out on time. I am still not feeling super great, but I still wanted to record an episode for this week. Um, also... I've noticed a problem in my last couple of episodes. It seems uh, most prevalent in my Jenny Jerome episode. Um, I've had a lot of crackling and problems with my recording, and I didn't notice that when I put that specific episode out because I've been putting these out so fast with very little time that I've just been putting the audio together and then like not checking it before I put it out. So I'm really sorry about that, but I don't have any way to fix it. And I can't re-record that episode because I just don't have time. I barely have time for this episode. So I'm really sorry about that, guys. I think I have it fixed now. Um, We'll see when I'm done editing this episode. But um, other than that, the world's been crazy the last two weeks, huh? Uh, We lost a submarine in the Atlantic Ocean uh, that was going to see the Titanic. And uh, they were dead the entire time we were looking for them. So that's that's fun. And it also seems to have started a uh, Titanic renaissance, which, you know, I did that before. It was cool. Um, No, it's kind of funny to see the entire internet going through the same Titanic phase that I went through when I was, like, from, like, 5 to 15 or something like that. Like, it's actually kind of shocking to see uh, how few people, like, know actual, like, things about the Titanic. Um, Like, I saw a whole bunch of people on TikTok, like, you know realize where the titanic actually sank like people thought like it sank in the arctic or something because you know icebergs and i was like you're joking right like why did no one realize how close it was to like nova scotia and newfoundland like they were heading for new york where do you think they were like they were almost there guys like come on anyway i'm also choking on uh wildfire smoke thanks quebec this is it's great i love not being able to breathe it's awesome especially when i don't feel well so I feel uh I feel nauseated and I can't breathe it's great uh uh anyway enough about me uh today we are talking about Maria the first queen of Portugal also known as the mad queen of Portugal now uh since the uh Queen Charlotte tv show came out it seems that a lot of people have been really interested in mad monarchs um and Maria is probably one of the most well I wouldn't say the most famous of her time because George III actually was alive during Uh, her time they were contemporaries and actually were uh, looked after by the same doctor which we'll talk about in a minute uh but i knew a little bit about maria uh going into this i hadn't done any extensive research on her but i knew that you know she was first queen of portugal uh, and she went a little uh in like after the first decade of her reign but i really didn't know any concrete details about her life so i'm really excited to uh, dive into her story because she is endlessly fascinating Uh, i hope you guys are excited let's get into it 
Okay, so Maria I, Queen of Portugal, was born on the 17th of December, 1734, in Lisbon, to King Joseph of Portugal, who at the time was Crown Prince Joseph, and his wife, Mariana Victoria of Spain. Now, since she was born on December 17th, we have yet another Sagittarius in the house! Whoop! Now, you guys know I love me some Sagittariuses. My dad and my brother are Sagittariuses, so I know them pretty well. Not to mention some of my favorite women I've done on this show have been Sagittariuses, like Catherine of Aragon. And, uh, well, you guys probably would have seen this by now, at least. Uh, people who follow me on Twitter would have. I did a kind of like... I went through all my episodes to look at all the women who had known birthdays, and then I uh, added up how many different signs we had, and I've done at least one of every sign, and it seems like Sagittarius's rule the world. <laughs> at least on this podcast they do. I've done a lot of Sagittarius's, so that's another Sagittarius uh, to the points. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Sagittarius's are fire signs, so they're passionate, curious, adaptable people, which I, I think fits Maria, at least in the, the first part of her life, but uh, that kind of wears off um, a little bit, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, now let's start off Maria's story by talking about her parents, Joseph and Mariana, who are both equally interesting people in their own right, not to mention the fact that Mariana has actually been in a previous episode, but more on that later. First, let's talk about Maria's dad, Joseph. Now, Joseph was technically never meant to be king. Uh, when he was born, he already had an older brother, but when Joseph was a few months old, his older brother died unexpectedly, and then he was, you know, starting to be raised to be a king. Now, to say Joseph was a hoot and a half of a guy would be an understatement. Dude loved to party, he loved to gamble, play music, and best of all, Joseph, he loved love. Like, he loved, love, love. Joseph had a pile of mistresses throughout his life, and that did not stop when he married Maria's mom. Although, I'll give him a little credit. He wasn't, like, you know, out constantly disrespecting Mariana, like, being like, hey, everyone, look at my mistresses. People knew he had mistresses, but he wasn't, like, you know, pulling uh, Henry II of France and having uh, his mistresses sit on his lap uh, on the throne. He wasn't doing any of that. Now, Mariana and Joseph had a shockingly close relationship, despite all the mistresses. They were both into music and the arts, which is, like, sort of cute, but, like, you know, boo to the whole mistress thing. Come on, Joseph. Uh, Joseph and Mariana's wedding was actually a double wedding, because Joseph's older sister, Barbara, married Mariana's brother, Philip, and then, of course, you know, Mariana married Joseph to uh, promote peace and friendship between Spain and Portugal, which, you know... <laughs> It just gets me. These two marry into each other's families, like, all the time. I don't get why they need to, like, renew friendship every fucking 20 years. Like, why can't it just, like, last for more decades? But whatever. Anyway. Uh, speaking of lasting friendship between Spain and Portugal, Mariana. Now, Maria's mom, Mariana, you may or may not recognize her name from a previous episode. So, way back, you guys may remember, I did an episode on Queen, queen Maria Lechenska, who was the longest-serving queen of France. Now, in her episode, I mentioned that Maria Lechenska's husband, Louis XV, had been engaged since childhood to his first cousin, a Spanish princess. Well, oh well, ladies and gentlemen, that first cousin Spanish princess is back, and it's Mariana Victoria. Now, Mariana had primarily been raised in France with the expectation that she would be Queen of France one day, but she was very embarrassing, 
sorry, embarrassingly sent home when she was like, you know, seven or six or something because Louis XV uh, had a really bad fever. He almost died and uh, he was worried about, you know, his succession because his wife wasn't able to have children yet. And she was sent back because she was a seven-year-old girl who couldn't have babies, which is like, eh? Um... Now, Mariana basically spent her entire childhood idealizing the man she would marry and being really popular at French court, only to be very publicly rejected by that same man she idolized from afar. Now, lucky for her, a few years later, when she was a teenager, her dad was busy negotiating a new marriage for her that would hopefully be better. Now, it was initially rumored she might marry Peter II of Russia, uh, Catherine the Great's husband, but that never panned out, and thank God. Or actually, or else we wouldn't have gotten Catherine the Great, which yeah, actually would have kind of sucked for Russia. And it also really would have sucked for Mariana Victoria, because I know she would have fucking hated Peter. Anyway, um, as we know, Mariana ended up marrying uh, Prince Joseph of Portugal, and they had a very happy marriage. They liked each other a lot, and they had eight children together, with uh, Maria being the eldest of their eight children. Now, Maria grew up in a very big, very happy family with her two parents and her younger sisters. They were a family that was constantly on the move. They hopped from palace to palace, enjoying the best music, art, and entertainment that money could buy. Now, Marie and her father often went on walks around palace gardens where they could be gone for hours just talking to one another, which is so freaking sweet. Like, little father-daughter jaunt through, you know, a park or a, a garden. Why did I forget the word for garden? I just said garden. I love it when I read about historical figures actually having good relationships with their parents. I love not talking about daddy issues on this show. It's great. Now, even though as a child it was not expected that Maria would come to the throne because there was still a possibility her mom could have a son, Maria was still provided with a top-notch 18th century education, uh, especially for a girl. Now, one of the palaces she lived in, Belhem, uh, had an indoor riding school where her father taught her to ride horses, and she was also taught Portuguese, French, and Latin. Also, because of her parents' intense interest in art and music, she was taught how to draw and paint, as well as how to sing, dance, and play a ton of different instruments with her younger sisters. They were basically like a family band, like at this rate, like... <laughs> Maria and the Portuguese princesses. Yeah. And honestly, I would have paid to see that. Like, from what I read, they sounded like... Sorry, it sounded like that they were actually all really good. Um, however, one of the biggest aspects of Maria's education and one of her favorite sub subjects was the study of religion. Now, Maria loved, 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 loved going to church, and she was fascinated by the history of the Catholic Church and Catholic rituals, ceremonies, all that stuff like that, and she always made sure she had time uh, to participate in the festivities during saint days, which she loved a lot. Now, when she was a kid, she had dolls made of all the saints, which... There's a, as far as I remember from Catholic school, there's a lot of saints. So she probably had like a million saint dolls. And they were often scattered around her bedroom. So as you can tell, she really, really liked being Catholic. Which, I mean, is great. I I mean, even for me as an atheist, I can appreciate someone being really devoted for their, to their faith. I mean, if that's what you like, as, as long as, you know, you don't push it on any, anyone. And while I don't agree with the Catholic Church on, well, pretty much anything, I can admit that their history, rituals, and overall architecture is really interesting. So it's, it's really cool that Marie was into that kind of stuff. 
Now, as for Maria's appearance, we're lucky to have many, many portraits of her painted from the time that show us what she looked like. She was considered very pretty for the time period. She had dark hair and dark eyes. She was fairly tall, about uh, five seven, five eight, and was described by courtiers as kind and affectionate, but timid and shy. Now, when Maria was about 16 years old, her grandfather, King John V of Portugal, died, and her father succeeded to the throne as king, which now left Maria as the apparent heir to the throne of Portugal, which would dramatically, and I mean fucking seriously, change her entire life. Now, you guys know I'm a genius with, like, my little, like, headings on each of the sections of these scripts, right? Yeah. So, I really like this section because I called it The Earthquake, The Uncle, and The Queen. It sounds like like the title of a Netflix episode of something. I don't know. Anyway, now when Maria's father became king, she kind of, her entire life shifted in general. The relaxed life that she had led where her family went anywhere they wanted, anytime they wanted, changed very quickly. And that that's a really dramatic, like, life change to have at 16 of all times. Now her family had to move to Portugal's capital capital Lisbon and Maria was in the process of properly being prepared for the throne by her mother as she was super capable very smart Mariana Victoria is awesome she was named regent several times during Joseph reign Joseph's reign because she was super competent well Joseph was mm, Joseph he wasn't a bad king I wouldn't say that but like he was he was lazy Joseph was so lazy actually in fact he he very quickly started handing off his duties as king to the uh Mar Marquis of Pombal, who would uh, distract the king with uh, mistresses and, and drinking and parties so that the Marquis of Pombal could actually rule the country and Mariana Victoria and Maria were like, fuck. <laughs> now, Maria and Mariana Victoria hated Pombal and were always trying desperately to lessen his influence on the king and it might have worked had an earthquake not happened. That's right, an earthquake. Now, the earthquake that struck Lisbon in 1755 heavily affected the royal family's future, so it's a significant aspect of Maria's life that we kind of need to discuss and kind of sets up the start of her own reign. Now, on the morning of November 1st, 1755, it probably seemed like any other day in Lisbon. It was All Saints Day, Lisbon was getting ready to celebrate when an 8.5 magnitude earthquake violently shook the Atlantic Ocean, claiming not only lives in Lisbon, where it did most of its damage, but it also raised rivers in Scotland and killed people in Brazil. But that wasn't even the worst of it. An hour after the quake, a six meter high tsunami came rushing in from the Atlantic Ocean, drowning all the people who had run to the harbor for safety in Lisbon. Over a hundred thousand people lost their lives in the quake, which was a huge portion of the population of Lisbon at the time. Like, I think it was way, it was almost half, I think, something like that. Anyway, Lucky for the royal family, they were not in the city at the time of the quake, which is very lucky. I mean, that's their capital. You'd expect them to always be there, but they weren't. They were a few kilometers away in their country palace, but they still felt the quake, even all the way out there, and were equally devastated with the destruction. I mean, they were crushed. I mean, it's hard to get through earthquakes today, but imagine having to deal with an earthquake in 1755. Like, I can't imagine what that's like at all. Now, the quake was especially traumatizing to Maria's father, Joseph, and he developed, like, severe claustrophobia. He was terrified to be indoors. So, during the rebuilding of Lisbon, a wooden palace was constructed for the royal family called, uh, okay. I can, I can do this. It can't be that hard. <laughs> I can pronounce this. Okay. <laughs> I can do it. I can do it. It's fine. 
<laughs> I can do it. Stop. Le, le Hill bra, Braca de Ajuda. Oh, this is why I don't speak Portuguese or any other foreign language because I can barely speak English. Anyway, uh, my my horrible butchering of that. Uh, in English, it translates to the royal hut at Ajuda. Uh, which is actually where the royal family spent most of their time. Once this, like, royal hut was built, like, it was literally like a tent palace. Like, the walls were canvas, and it was, like, made out of wood, and it's a good thing it doesn't really get that cold in Portugal. Like, thank God. Now, the only real positive to come out of the quake was that uh, it destroyed several medieval sections of the city, leading it to, leading those parts to be rebuilt with larger streets, uh, new building codes to prevent fires, um, improved sewage and garbage collection, uh, kind of like with the, uh, the Great Far Fire in, um, in London in, what was it, 1666? Yeah, something like that. Uh, that fire destroyed a lot of old crappy parts of London and they were rebuilt back better than ever. And the same thing happened in Lisbon, although a lot more people died in this quake than the, uh, the Great Fire of London, but, you know. <laughs> Now, because Maria's dad was so heavily traumatized by this quake, he only gave the Marquis of Pombal more power, which completely iced out Maria and her mother from being able to make political decisions, which really sucks as an heir to the throne that your dad's not listening to you anymore. Now, the thing about Pombal is that he was super popular with the common people, well, in Portugal in general, but really a lot in Lisbon, because he was actively interested in their welfare. Now, the only reason that Maria and her mom didn't like him was because she felt that he was taking advantage of her father, which he was. But I digress. Um, I do like a lot of the policies that Pombal was putting forward, and he genuinely did care about the common people, so points there, but, like, him icing out Maria and Mariana, who probably would have done similar things that he was doing, is just not fair. Now, Pombal really increased his power base during the Tavor affair, where the king was almost assassinated. Let's get into this story. It is fucking wild. Now, Maria's dad, Joseph, one night was on his way back from his mistress's house, who was a member of the Tavora family. I think she was her name was Teresa Tavora. Now, the Tavoras were one of the most powerful families in all of Portugal. I mean, they were like the Lannisters of Portugal. They were rich. They were well-connected. They were doing great. Now, while Joseph was coming back from Teresa Tavora's house, he was attacked by three men outside his carriage, and he was shot in the arm. Lucky for him, he was able to make it back to the royal hut alive. But, almost immediately after the attack, Pombal put himself right at the head in the investigation of who did it. Next thing you know, two, three days later, a couple of men are found and arrested for the shootings and apparently confessed to being the perpetrators, and that they were acting under the orders of the Tavora family who wanted King Joseph dead. Now, these three men were very conveniently executed on Pombal's orders before the assassination attempt was even made public to anyone. No one, no one knew. So, what's wrong with this picture? Well, we don't really know if anyone in the Tavora family was actually involved because it was Pombal who was leading the charge on the whole thing. I mean, he found these so-called assassins. He was the one who said the so-called attackers confessed that the Tavoras hired him. No one else heard this confession but him and, you know, people loyal to him. All this information is coming from one source who also conveniently hates the Tavoras because they have an incredible amount of sway with the king. So it's kind of obvious what Pombal was trying to do here, and it worked like a goddamn charm for him, even if people were suspicious of him. It worked for him. The king cut ties with the Tavoras and basically gave Pombal full control to do whatever he wanted to them, and boy did Pombal do that. 
After the execution of the so-called assassins, almost the entire Tavora family, including actual fucking children, were arrested and charged with high treason and attempted regicide. Even people who weren't freaking involved in it. The Crown confiscated the Tavora estates, their house in Lib Lisbon was destroyed, and its soil was salted, their name was erased from the peerage, and their coat of arms was outlawed. If you were seen flying it, you would be arrested. Now, this was some real fire and brimstone shit. I mean, what the fuck? Pombal was ready to execute an entire family because he wanted all that power for himself. Now, luckily for a lot of the Tavora family, Maria and her mom stepped in and had many of the women and children in the Tavora family pardoned because they didn't fucking do anything. Um, however, many of them uh, who were spared death were either exiled or sent to uh, convents, which, you know, kind of sucks, but I guess it's better than being brutally executed. I mean, now the overall culmination of the 1755 earthquake and the Tavora affair really tested Maria's resolve as a future queen, but I also think it set the tone for the type of ruler she would eventually become, and we will see that in a second. I gotta apologize in advance for all the coughing I'm about to do, because boy do my lungs hurt from that wildfire smoke. Anyway, sorry. Now, a few years after the crazy events that we just talked about, Maria was getting up into her mid-twenties, about 23-25, and was not yet married, which was a huge problem for the heir to the throne, and, you know, she's basically an old maid at this point, so it was time to start husband shopping for the future Queen of Portugal. Now, a couple of ideas were floated around of who Maria could marry. This was a pretty big decision, as she was the first queen to ever rule Portugal. Now, here are a couple of the bachelors that uh, were proposed for who Maria could marry. Now, one of the first was King George III's younger brothers. Uh, he had uh, two or one, I think. He had younger brothers. Anyway, those boys were floated around. Um, a couple of uh, her Spanish cousins, a couple of her Portuguese relatives were floated around to be her husband. Uh, but none of those really ever came to fruition. However, eventually it was decided that because Maria was about to be the first ever queen of Portugal, that she should marry the next male in line to the throne, which was none other than her uncle Pedro. Oh boy, don't you just love European politics? It's so much fun. Um, so yeah, Maria had to marry her uncle because the Portuguese nobility just couldn't imagine Maria being able to uh, properly rule the country without being married to someone she was related to. So on June 6th, uh, 1760, uh, Maria married her uncle Pedro in an ultra-Catholic and very fancy ceremony. So, let's get to know Maria's uncle husband a little bit better, shall we? Uh, Pedro was born on the 5th of July, 1717, to Maria's grandparents, and he was a, he was a very quintessential second son, in a lot of ways. Uh, well, a technically third son, we talked about how, uh, both of them had an older brother who died. Anyway, uh, Pedro kept to himself. Uh, he had very rich people hobbies, he liked hunting and stuff, until uh, he was suddenly thrust into the spotlight and onto the altar with his 25-year-old niece. Yay! Now, despite their, uh, well, relatively large age gap and uh, being related, uh, they actually had a lot in common other than being related. Uh, they were both uh, super devout and religious. Uh, Pedro was also into hunting and horseback riding, just like Maria was. So, honestly, they weren't related. I actually think this might, might have been kind of cute. Um, I will say for one that I'm glad that Maria married someone who was like a genuinely good person and wasn't interested in politics or super ambitious. I mean, all Pedro wanted to do was sit back, relax, and enjoy all the benefits of being in the main royal family while his wife, uh, girl bossed her way into the, being the first female monarch of Portugal. Now, a little over a year after they got married, they just started popping out heirs. Um, 
In their 26 years of marriage, they had six children, of which only uh, three survived long enough to become adults and get married. Uh, the couple's first child was their son, Prince Jose, who uh, was immediately declared heir to the throne upon his birth. Then their son, Zhao, who was born on Octo in October of 1763. He was unfortunately stillborn, and it really devastated the couple, as, you know, any child loss would. Um, it would be several years uh, before they had another child. In 1767, they had another boy who they named Zhao again. Don't worry, this one lives. Um, after that, they had their first daughter who they named Mariana Victoria after Maria's mom. And after another large age gap, they had their youngest daughters, uh, Clementina and Isabel, who unfortunately both died before their fourth birthdays. But in good news, they managed to have an heir, a spare, and a future marriage alliance all before Maria became queen, which... When it comes to securing a succession, I think they did a pretty good job, even though, uh, you know, half their kids died along the way. Now, Maria and Pedro spent much of their marriage before becoming king and queen, raising their children in the palace of uh, Quiluz. I think that's how you pronounce that. It's it's Q-U-E-L-U-Z. -Q anyway. And they were trying their best to be, you know, the picture-perfect heirs to the throne. But, of course, fucking Marquis of Pombal was trying to make their lives as difficult as possible while he held all the power. Now, Pombal even went behind Maria's back and had his own people be put in charge of her son Jose's uh, education, which Maria hated, because, but she couldn't do anything about it because even though she asked her father to remove Pombal's tutors, he refused to do that, which really pissed off Maria. She didn't want her son being taught by, you know, little cronies of Pombal. She wanted her son to, you know, think freely, not what he was thinking. Now, shortly before the end of Maria's dad's life, he suffered a very intense series of bad strokes, which left him unable to talk, and lucky for Maria, uh, her mom was made regent instead of Pombal, which was really great. And that's when Maria started wa uh, working towards getting uh, back power from Pombal before she got under the throne and put her in a really great position before her dad died. Now... <laughs> One funny decision that Maria's dad made while he was severely disabled was to arrange a marriage for Maria's oldest son, who at the time, uh, at this point, was about 16 years old, uh, to, uh, you know, doubly, se se sorry, se secure the succession. I don't know why I couldn't say secure there for a second. Uh, doubly secure the succession. Now, Grandpa Joseph seemed to think the best marriage candidate for his 16-year-old grandson slash nephew uh, was Maria's 30-year-old sister, Benedita? Ben no, that's not Bernadita. There's no R. Benedita. Which has got to be the worst fucking idea he could have ever had. The poor kid's already inbred. Why would you do that to him? Why would, why would you want to make their kids more inbred? Like, that... What would they even be to each other? I mean, they're obviously, like, aunt and nephew. But then they, they'd also be, like... I don't even want to think about that. Anyway. Uh... I don't know how Maria felt about this. She never tried to dissolve the marriage or marry him to anyone else, so I guess she thought it was okay, but I don't know. Maybe she just didn't think she could say no to her dad as he was really sick. Anyway, um, a year after uh, Maria's son's very strange marriage to Maria's sister, uh, Maria's father died at the age of 42, which is really young. I thought he was a lot older than that, but apparently not. And... Oh, no, wait, sorry. My bad. I read that wrong. I read my own script wrong. Ha <laughs> Uh, Joseph didn't die at the age of 42. That's stupid. Uh, 
Maria was 42 when she became queen. That's what I meant to say. I'm sorry. She became the first ruling queen of Portugal at 42. Good for her. Now, of course, the first thing uh, Maria did after being crowned uh, with her husband was to kick Pombel the fuck out of government. Uh, she brought back uh, most of the Tavoras who had been exiled, and she freed all the political rivals Pombal had put into prison uh, so that he could never get back into the government again. Now, one of the major themes in Maria's reign was uh, her restoration of the Jesuit orders in Portugal, which Pombal had, you know, dismantled. Now, through Maria's father, Pombal had heavily attacked and gotten rid of the Jesuit orders, and Maria's, like, devout Catholicism made this a sensitive topic for her, so she really wanted to work hard to get the Jesuit orders back up and running. However, she also struggled with reversing her, you know, father's, I say father's with quotation marks, uh, policies because, you know, that was her dad. She didn't want to, like, go back on stuff he did. But she was also mildly worried that her father was in hell because of his attack on the Jesuits, which wasn't really his fault. That was Paul Balls, but whatever. Uh, Maria was actually considered a really good queen in her first, like, decade of rule. She made good alliances, was politically savvy with various large European powers, and was just an all-around good ruler who people liked. However, that changed uh, about 10 years in her reign in the uh, 1780s, when several very momentous deaths sort of rocked Maria to the core. Uh, first of all, Maria's husband died, which devastated her. I mean, she, like, despite their familial connection, she really fucking loved him. And it sent her into a terrible spiral of religious delirium and mania. Now, according to several accounts from the uh, once lively Portuguese court, um, the Portuguese court started to resemble a somber religious mass rather than one of the wealthiest courts in Europe. Uh, two years after her husband died, Maria's son and heir, Jose, died of smallpox with no children. And then Maria's daughter died in childbirth. And then her favorite confessor died, which sent her into a very deep depressive state where she'd either be wildly screaming at people or she would just sit on in her room all day doing nothing. I mean, that's, that's a lot of trauma for her to go through in, like, under five years. Like... Two of your children die, your husband die, and then the person that you trust most with your faith dies. Now, a lot of her insane behavior was caused by religious mania, and it's pretty insane to read about. Uh, the English author William Beckford visited the Pink Palace in Lisbon and reported, Queen Maria, fancying herself damned for all eternity, therefore, on the strength of its being all over for her, eats barley and oyster stew Fridays and Saturdays and indulges in conversations of a rather unchaste nature. She fancied herself in her father's image, in color, sorry, in color black and horrible erected on a pedestal of molten iron, which a crowd of ghastly phantoms were dragging her down. Like, that, that's the kind of stuff, like, she was, like, seeing. Like, she went absolutely crazy from all her, like, really close family members fucking dying. Like, wouldn't you? Like, I've never experienced, like, a really bad familial death, but, like, I'd go a little... Too. I mean, I'm already mentally ill, so, like, I'm halfway there. Now, after several years of these really uh, intense visions that she was getting after half her fucking family died, uh, Maria's advisors and court officially declared her insane, and she started to be treated for her illness. Now, we're not 100% sure what was wrong with her. It's really hard to, you know, diagnose someone who's dead. Um... But her extreme mental illness could have been caused by her incestuous family tree, as two of Maria's sisters also suffered similar symptoms. Um, 
So the same doctor who was who treated uh, King George III of Great Britain was brought in to treat Maria in hopes that she might get better. Now, I'm sure some of you have probably seen the new Queen Charlotte show, which depicts some of the horrible treatment uh, George III suffered by his doctors because mental illness was, you know, just not well understood back then. So, you know, all the treatment for it was terrible. Uh, Maria was subjected to beatings, shock therapy, cold baths, and all these horrible things that, in the end, didn't make her feel any better than she had been before. Honestly, probably made her worse. Now, eventually, Maria San Zhao was uh, officially made Prince Regent, much like uh, King George III's son, also named George, was made Prince Regent, and Zhao had to rule in his mother's name. While he wasn't the worst choice in the world to take over the government, I wouldn't say he was the most promising Prince Regent ever. Zhao was a good guy, according to the little bit I've read about him, but he was also, according to accounts, um, let me just check my notes here, uh, clumsily built lethargic and an awkward youth who had never who had never been known to lose his temper and he yawned at parties very much not like his grandfather you'd think anyway Zhao always also Zhao also carried in his pocket two small boxes um can you guess what they are i bet you can't uh one containing snuff which is like a tobacco that you know you'd <laughs> essentially like snort anyway um and he also carried a grilled chicken's leg in the second box, which he would gnaw on if he was bored. Basically, this kid who carried around tobacco and a chicken leg was somehow a better option than the mentally ill Maria. And that tells a lot about how ill she was at the time. Like, if we're trusting the guy with tobacco and a chicken leg, like, we've clearly lost the plot, guys. I mean, wow. Okay, so about this time that Maria Sun Zhao becomes Prince Regent, I believe it's a couple years after, the, uh, the French Revolution is something that's happening, and the events of the French Revolution deeply distressed poor Maria, and she was only more stressed out when she found out uh, Napoleon invaded her country in 1807, which uh, forced her and her entire family to flee to their largest colony, uh, Brazil. Now, I'll give it to, to Zhao and the entire Portuguese military. They really did try to fucking stop Napoleon, like they really did, but... It's fucking Napoleon. If he wants to invade your country, he's probably going to do it. Um, now, the royal family barely managed to escape French troops when they entered Lisbon. Like, they could literally, their boat could still be seen from the shoreline as French troops entered the city. Like, it was that close of a call. Like, it was so bad. And so, the worst thing about, like, this escape is the fact that Maria had no idea, like, where she was going. Like, she was so mentally ill at this point. That, like, Zhao genuinely thought he couldn't, like, trust his mother by, like, telling her where they were going. So, like, Marie was being, like, ushered out of the palace. Like, I think it was in the middle of the night. I'm not sure what time of day it was. But she was being ushered out of the palace and she was like, Zhao, where are we going? I don't understand. I don't want to leave. Where are we going? And he, like, couldn't tell her. Can you imagine how distressing that must be? Like, to be ushered out of your palace and your son not telling you where you're going. And she was, like, she was, like, screaming in her carriage all the way down to the boats because she was so freaked out she didn't understand where she was going. It's so fucking sad. Now, while they were on the boat, storms raged basically their entire journey. I mean, it's the fucking Atlantic Ocean. Uh, and it seemed to make everyone seasick, except for uh, Maria. She actually really seemed to enjoy the trip, and the sea air seemed to do her good. 
Now, when they did finally arrive in Brazil, her mental illness pretty much only deteriorated as she did not seem to understand where she was or why she was there. Now, she would often randomly scream at people and hit and even attack her servants because she was terrified of them. Now, a lot of her servants were native Brazilians, like indigenous people and some slaves. And in her, you know, delirious state, she had probably never seen an indigenous person, let alone, let alone an African person, in her life. So, in her mentally ill state, she thought they were demons coming to punish her. Like, that's... That's, like, not on her, but, like, it's horrible that the servants and Maria, you know, did that. It's, like, it's awful for those servants. I can't imagine what it must have been like. Now, of the eight years she spent living in Brazil after uh, being declared Queen of Brazil, because the uh, royal family was in exile in Brazil and they decided to make a monarchy out of Brazil, uh, she was mostly locked up in a convent. Uh, she suffered from bad dysentery fever and, um a disease called oedema in her hands and feet while she was there. Um, I'm not quite sure. I didn't, like, Google what oedema was, but it must be bad to, to have it mentioned. Now, every day, poor Queen Maria was taken around her wheelchair. Uh, Maria was confined to a bed for the last two months of her life. Um, and every day when her son Zhao came to visit, uh, she screamed, I don't want to see anyone. I want to die. And unfortunately, Maria got her wish and died on March 20th, 1816 at 82 years old and her son succeeded her as Zhao the sixth of portugal now before we talk about maria's legacy let's talk about her son and what he did as king now Zhao is often considered respons uh, being responsible for turning brazil into a modern state as he was the one who elevated brazil to a kingdom in the first place and also worked to make brazil a booming and sophisticated society that was rich and prosperous with the building of cities to look european and having town halls with the people of uh, Brazil, he wanted to project himself as kind of like this father of the nation, which seemed to be how he's remembered. Although um, I didn't look too heavily into Zhao's uh, um, involvement in slavery, but uh, Brazil was also one of the largest slave colonies in the world. In fact, most of the slaves that uh, came over from Africa were sent to Brazil. We kind of think of them as all going to America or the Caribbean, but they pretty much all went to Brazil. I don't really know much about that. I will, I will get back to you guys on that. I'm sorry, I should have looked more into that. Um, however, Zhao was also remembered as a, uh, slobby, silly, overweight man who is dominated by his wife, so he has a complicated legacy. Now, Maria also has a complicated legacy, much like her son. Um, overall, she's remembered in both Portugal and Brazil as an intelligent, competent ruler before her mental illness, and even though it was through her son's actions, uh, she is often also given credit for the development of Brazil into, uh, its modern society and its eventual independence. Now, even though she is often thought of as Maria the Mad, she has actually a really good reputation amongst historians, as, you know, how could you possibly blame her for her own mental deterioration? Like, it wasn't her fault. Like, mental illness can come on at any time in her life, and it just happened to sneak up on her after half her family died. I mean, who could blame her for that? Now, Maria suffered a lot in her life, but despite this, she was an incredibly strong queen who did what she could despite the insane circumstances she went through. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will hopefully see you guys on time in two weeks with a brand new episode. I love you guys. Goodbye. 
Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMationRain2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you guys could do that. All right. uh, Bye.